Welcome to On The Spectrum, a podcast about the art of making art. We are your hosts, Maxime Labrec and Flora Chia. This is part one of a three-part podcast exploring the hypocrisy of modern civilization through the novella Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, the poem The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot, and the film Apocalypse Now, directed by Francis Coppola. So today we'll be starting by looking at Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, a book published in the 1800s, 18, it's like 1860-something, right? 18, 1857. It was published during the Belgian occupation of the Congo as a result of colonialization during the reign of uh, King Leopold II. And it is one of Belgium's darkest periods in history because there was so much uh, racism involved in the occupation of the Congo. A lot of torture happened, and it was it was just a very rough patch in history. And it was one of the worst uh, examples of the effects of colonialization on a country. And it killed, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's up to killed a lot a lot of people it was almost a genocide both culturally and uh physically yeah an interesting thing about the author himself is that he didn't begin to learn english until he was 21 so english is not even his second language it's his third language and that's after polish and french right wow actually i didn't know that that it was so that's crazy Heart of Darkness is about a trip into a jungle on a riverboat, and Conrad actually experienced this in real life, and a lot of his experiences were translated into the book, although it is probably uh, an exaggeration, and also it's taken from a different perspective, not that one, that of Joseph Conrad himself, but of a character behind a character behind a character. And that's how the book is written, because I don't think he wanted the views of the characters associated with him, even if he held those views. And there's a lot of controversy about if these are uh, Conrad's point of view or the point of view of the characters that uh, Conrad translated into his book. Mm -hmm. So Joseph Conrad was born to Polish parents on December 3rd, 1857 in Ukraine and was raised and educated primarily in Poland. After a seafaring career in the French and British merchant marines, he wrote short stories and novels like Lord Jim, Heart of Darkness, and The Secret Agent, which combined his experiences in remote places with an interest in moral conflict and the dark side of human nature. He died in England on August 3rd, 1924. So, uh, historical background of Heart of Darkness would begin in the colonial rule of the Congo in the late 19th century. King Leopold II of Belgium persuaded the government to support colonial expansion around the then largely unexplored Congo Basin. Their ambivalence resulted in Leopold's creating a colony on his own account with support from a number of Western countries. Leopold achieved international recognition for a personal colony, the Congo Free State, in 1885. By the turn of the century, however, the violence used by free state officials against indigenous Congolese and a ruthless system of economic exploitation, which is shown uh, graphically in Heart of Darkness, led to intense diplomatic pressure on Belgium to take official control of the country, which it did by creating the Belgian Congo in 1908. Belgian rule in the Congo was based on the colonial trinity of state, missionary, and private company interests, which uh, the private companies are the ivory trade sort of things, uh, again, in Heart of Darkness. The privileging of Belgian commercial interests meant that large amounts of capital flowed into the Congo and that individual regions became specialized. On many occasions, the interests of the government and private enterprise became closely tied, and the state helped companies break strikes and remove other barriers raised by indigenous population. 
The country was split into nesting, hierarchic Frick me up. Hierarchically organized administrative subdivisions and run uniformly according to a set native policy. This was in contrast to the British and the French, who generally favored the system of indirect rule, whereby traditional leaders were retained in positions of authority under colonial oversight. The Congo had a high degree of racial segregation. The large numbers of white immigrants who moved to the Congo after the end of World War II came from across the social spectrum, but were always treated as superior to black people. So, it's often said that there were uh, two great totalitarian systems of the last century, or great as in horrible or, you know, large, mm. having impact or whatnot. So, Nazism and communism. But um, we often ignore how European colonialism was an ideology in and of itself, uh, particularly as practiced in Africa, where it was just as brutal and as deadly as the other systems. And actually was the main cause for World War One starting. So, yeah. Um, and because of this uh, native policy, uh, there was an extreme amount of violence to keep the population under control. Um, which, would you like me to go into that? Yeah, sure. Just... Let that happen. All right, let me just read this bit. Uh, justifications for colonialism in Africa often invoked as a key argument that of the civilizing influence of the European culture. This self-declared civilizing mission in the Congo went hand-in-hand hand with the goal of economic gain, conversion to Catholicism, basic Western-style education, and improved healthcare were objectives in their own right, but at the same time helped to transform what Europeans regarded as a primitive society into the Western model, in which workers, who were disciplined and healthy, and who had learned to read and write, could be more efficiently put to work. The predominant theme discussed in Heart of Darkness is the hypocrisy of Western imperialism. So how, as we conquer, we lose our empathy and who we fundamentally are. The jungle is also a very large theme in how it shapes people. The colonists in Heart of Darkness were not shaped by their environment. They were destroyed by it because they brought European values and ways of thinking that were total opposite, total opposites in nature. So, I think it's the controversy that really springs from this book. I mean, it's regarded as one of the greatest and most widely read books of the literary canon. But uh, Joseph Conrad is often regarded as a racist, uh, mostly because of his excessive use of the N-word. To add on to that... Also, his wording when he's describing uh, the natives or black people in general is very, I don't know, is very rough and it makes them almost seem animalistic to the reader. But as of no point does he not um, treat them as human. Like, he clearly perceives them to be human. There's a quote on page 18 where he says, They were dying slowly. It was very clear. They were not enemies. They were not criminals. They were nothing earthly now. Nothing but black shadows of disease and starvation, lying confusedly in all the legality of time contracts, lost in uncongenial surroundings, fed on unfamiliar food. They sickened, became inefficient, and were then allowed to crawl away and rest. So he definitely perceives black people as human, whether or not he was a racist in regard to our modern standards. I mean, was anybody politically correct back then? He was a Victorian. Yeah, you you're know? right. And also, it doesn't really matter if he's a racist or not to the text and what it's the actual text is saying. Because to us, it is showing us the brutality of colonialization. And that's important. Yeah, and... Yeah. So the character's perception of the slave doesn't necessarily reflect the views of the author, even though 
the main character really like his um, experiences closely mirror uh, Conrad's own. So, but it's I don't know. It's not really a point of good discussion, really, because whether or not he was racist doesn't actually affect the work. Yeah, Does that no, makes sense. Totally, I wouldn't. Yeah, I would totally not true. let that. Yeah, because there's a lot of writers out there who have questionable morals or whatnot, and they make their way into um, the canon as we talk of it. So clearly, their work is significant enough to be venerated to this point. You know, so mm-hmm. right. It's kind of. Like to to me at least it doesn't matter, but to some people they just don't think this book should even be read or talked yes. about. Yes, yeah, which I disagree with. That's... I think it's very important to read, because mm-hmm. um, it addresses so much. Um, it addresses a whole period and gives people an insight into the mind of a of people living in that colonialized, in those colonialized countries, and it even though it doesn't give us both ends of the story, we don't see it from the perspective of the tribal nations looking at uh, Marlowe, because I have Apocalypse now in the brain. So it's only showing us the the perception of Marlowe, a foreigner. And Mm -hmm. I mean, so it does give us only a one-sided sort of thing, but also that's important for the book because it's what the book is dealing with. It's dealing with colonialization. So we need to see from the point of view of a colonist and we can question our own morals and say like, all right, I can see that this is wrong. That's, it's almost like a test of your own morals. It's seeing where you are on that spectrum of like, I don't care about these people. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And because it's his own it's the mission in and of itself that is hypocritical so the setting of heart of darkness is created to explain the darkest aspects of humanity and the entire mission is set up to be something that is empty and hypocritical and satirical because the reason why he's fighting and what the reason why he's dispatched to kill kurtz is all it's all for this kind of great cause that is actually like not Mm -hmm. great at all you know kurtz's methods in uh i'm also taking a bit from apocalypse now because it's pretty much the same idea to the western to the colonists kurtz's methods are unsound but kurtz's methods are exactly what the environment demands to be successful in that environment. He's mm-hmm. got to be this ruthless. He's got to put heads on stakes. He's got to appeal to the tribal um, nations to get all this ivory. He's doing the best, and the managers hate him for that, and they also want mm-hmm. to kill him because he doesn't appeal to their Western thing, but almost, but he's not acting as a person who is in a Western society. And therefore, he needs to die. But the colonists are worse than him, in a way. They're enslaving people. They're, uh, I mean, they're both horrible. Kurtz is horrible, and also the colonists are horrible. Mm-hmm. But they're both, to me, about the same extent of, of evil. I'd have to read more into yeah. it to make a firm judgment, but that's how I, kind of how I see it. I'd have to see... to do a little bit more digging to firmly decide. Yeah, just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, what are your thoughts of uh, Kurtz being worshipped as a god? I mean, it's always been that thing of the colonists. It's They're such aliens to also the people who are... I mean, imagine a guy with totally different skin tone in full iron armor landing on your beaches and huge ships that are too big for you to understand, like, well, not too big for you to understand, but are much larger than what you're used to. Like, you'd almost think that they're crazy. It's like an alien landing, like someone with a lot bigger technology. He'd almost be like, 
he'd be worshipped. And I think that's in the back of all the colonists' minds, that they could become a god. They could go full, like, they could take full control. Yeah, it's that excessive display of power um, embodied in Kurtz that is kind of parallel, I suppose, to everything that he represents, the colonialists, the kind of gritty parts and gross parts of imperialism. He uses all the um, positives of colonialism to exploit the land. He Mm -hmm. knows he can become a god. And even though that's against normal morals, he knows that it's going to make him the most successful. And therefore, he goes that route. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Spend. Uh, I mean, it goes against Western morals to go into all these tribes and raid other tribes and do all this stuff. Involve yourself in the, those politics to get more ivory. But the, at the end of the day, he's the most. He's the company's greatest asset. Yeah, it's very interesting to look at. You know, what humans are willing to exploit and what kind of. I guess, immoral things we're willing to commit for the sake of personal gain. And I suppose in this way, it's just that whole idea of the double-edged sword or blade is very interesting to think about in regards to Heart of Darkness. So it's like the more stuff you get, the richer you are, materially the poorer you are in spirit almost yeah was it was it joseph conrad that said uh the lack of religion is no that was tsl yeah but it's kind of a it's kind of a running theme it's kind of like the lack of spirituality like spiritual intention in of, uh, firm beliefs a, yeah unshakable beliefs of firm belief um is what causes is the source of all of these mm-hmm immoral acts i'm not sure where i was going with that so almost uh, i guess in a microcosm or in a paracosm ish way the more material wealth that we amass right now in our practice in our daily practice in a in a less exaggerated form the more greedy we are the more we lose ourselves so the more you have, yeah, the more you have, the less you have. And then you get to the point of Kurtz and then you're, you know, you commit practically genocide. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Apocalypse Now because it, it relates. And we're going to be talking about this uh, movie in a full podcast form and how it uh, plays off of Heart of Darkness and how it expands on that. Because it, it's almost an exact replication of the story, but it's set in Vietnam. And so it tackles a lot more... It tackles the subject of war along with uh, the subject of everything that's covered in the Heart of Darkness, but instead of colonialization, it's more war-focused. That's what uh, Apocalypse Now is. And um, a lot of the same symbolism is used in uh, the two uh, pieces, the film and the book. And especially Fog is very important in both those, the film, both pieces. Uh, in um, Heart of Darkness, it's used as the... It's just smoke from the gunshots of the colonists and also and also the fog of the jungle that encroaches. And it's the fog of war. It's confusion and, and alienation. And it's like, it's yeah, that's a heavy symbol in Heart of Darkness. Whenever there's fighting, it's it almost the fighting blurs out and it's just absolute chaos. In Apocalypse Now, smoke grenades are used and different colors of smoke grenades are used to represent it almost foreshadows events Mm -hmm. so i mean you'll have for the air cavalry if you watch the film there'll be yellow smoke grenades uh that precede helicopters landing or like the army and then when important characters like uh kilgore land it'll be a orange smoke grenade uh the french have white smoke grenades because they they're not part of the war and that's like white is more peaceful, I assume. That's probably what Coppola was thinking. And so, yeah, but there are many links that we'll talk be talking about more in the next podcast. It's very interesting discussing the environmental links between 
who we are and you know how we move through the world because it gets back into the whole nature nurture argument again because we are inevitably tied to our environments and so there is no separation from the outside world and the inside uh, the inner self of the of these characters the the jungle the jungle is very you know foggy and it's almost it's described as it's invasive and it's invasive in and of itself so how we cannot be separated from our environments a lot of the times in literature though i mean the mirroring of that external and internal self like the confusion kind of the the fear or the obscurity of the fog itself is kind kind of represents how the there's a lack of um self-awareness you know Mm -hmm. so they they can't see what they're doing they don't really know what they're doing is wrong the characters just can't perceive they can't deal with that what they're doing is wrong and kind of their blindness uh moving through their lives morally reflects their journey into the jungle this is what I think is important from as an important thing I took from Heart of Darkness. It's like the colonists and the pilgrims are super evil during in their stay in the Congo. They're they beat slaves, they torture slaves, they shoot at people. They're ruthless. And they don't see, they're so immersed in their own environment mm-hmm. and being scared by in their environment and being so invaded by the jungle that uh, they don't notice that they're doing something bad. And once they make it to Europe, much like uh, Woodrow makes it back to Europe, they're not persecuted. They're accepted as great adventurers and mm-hmm. doing a good for their country. And so they're allowed to forget what they've done. Yeah, I really like how you said invaded by the jungle because what the jungle is doing to them emotionally is as invasive as what they're doing to the natives, you know, like how how the environment is changing their psyche and how it's allowing for them to behave against, you know, social convention because of their greed. Bear much on the conversation, but... If the colonists had brought an open mind and not this need to impose Western religion and societal norms and all this stuff, there would have been no conflict. Well, there would have been a conflict if they were trying to still get economic uh, wealth and stuff because there would still have been slavery and things like that. But, like, they wouldn't have been as affected by the jungle and being foreigners. Mm-hmm. And why? But uh, the most interesting part of the book, and even the author puts so much importance on him, is Kurtz, who is at the far end of the spectrum. At the beginning of Woodrow's trip, he is at the outpost. And that's the most Western bit. Mm -hmm. There's Europe, which is fully Western. Yerp. Erp. (laughs) Yerp. There's Europe, which is fully Western. The beginning of the river is the most Western, the most controlled. And as they go farther and farther, it's least controlled. There's huts and weird things going on. And they get ambushed and all this stuff. And they're piercing heart and darkness and into the heart of darkness, which is actually referenced. The name of the book is actually referenced a lot in the text, which I I found interesting because it's not done a lot. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of um, debate on what the heart of darkness is or when he talks about it I mean, i haven't read about it yet but there's literally the the heart of the jungle yes and there's also um the heart of darkness of humanity so true i think evil. that's true evil so that's what this exploration is it's kind of like that journey to hell the heart can be m- many things it could be the heart of the jungle it's the heart of true evil it's kurtz kurtz is the greatest heart of darkness because he's at the end of human insanity and human sanity. He has fully Mm -hmm. converted to his, by the environment. He's been fully converted, fully controlled by it, but he still keeps his sanity and he still keeps his goals, his Western goals. 
it, which is why he is so awe-inspiring to all the characters because he's used mm-hmm. his environment to its uh, full potential. He's fully dehumanized in, and he uses his dehumanization as an asset. And that's mm-hmm. why he's a genius. In, I'm not saying that in a positive way because yeah. you could be a genius and be the most evil person on earth. Exactly. Like um, they regard Kurtz as insane, uh, almost. Um, in Apocalypse Now, they Willard, the main character, is reading a letter that Mr. Kurtz has sent to his son, and he says the following: "Dear son, I'm afraid that both you and your mother." will have been worried at not hearing from me during the past weeks, but my situation here has become a difficult one. I've been officially accused of murder by the army. The alleged victims were four Vietnamese double agents who spent months uncovering them and accumulating evidence. When absolute proof was completed, we acted. We acted like soldiers. The charges are unjustified. They are, in fact and in the circumstances of this conflict, quite completely insane. In a war, there are many moments for compassion and tender action. There are many moments for ruthless action. What is often called ruthless, what may in many circumstances be only clarity, seeing clearly what there is to be done and doing it directly, quickly, awake, looking at it. I will trust you to tell your mother what you choose about this letter. As for the charges against me, I am unconcerned. I am beyond their timid, lying morality, and so I am beyond caring. You have all my faith, your loving father. So, I mean, he feels that he is completely above I guess the pettiness of social convention. Yes. Yep. So in a way he is the ultimate evil, but also the ultimate good. So you get, it's very interesting when you think about if Kurtz is the embodiment of absolute evil, who is the embodiment of absolute in- innocence? And that would be the, is the Russian journalist. Yeah. He, he's just called the Harlequin. Yeah. He's the Russian man who helps Kurtz and is considered his disciple. And he dresses in a lot of colorful clothing, which earns him his nickname of the Harlequin. So um, he kind of represents everything good about access and glamour, in a way. And in apocalypse now it's very interested how he's decorated uh, with five he doesn't cameras need five because cameras. he's a journalist <laughs> he doesn't he he really doesn't and also but that that really rams in this idea that of how i guess narcissistic society is and, and how it, it's the show it's the showy offy bits mm-hmm. you know so. yeah all right okay this is a. Uh quote about the Russian journalist his aspect reminded me of something I had seen something funny I had seen somewhere as I maneuvered to get alongside I was asking myself what does this fellow look like suddenly I got it he looked like a harlequin his clothes had been made of some stuff that was brown Holland probably but it was covered with patches all over with bright patches blue red and yellow patches on the back patches on the front patches on the elbow on the knees colored binding around his jacket scarlet edging at the bottom of his trousers and the sunshine made him look extremely gay and wonderfully neat withal because you could see how beautifully all this patching had been done a beardless boyish face very fair no features to speak of Nose peeling, little blue eyes, smiles and frowns, chasing each other over that open countenance, like sunshine and shadow on a windswept plain. And it's later described that he is almost more dangerous, or he is more dangerous than Kurtz himself because of his kind of um, unscathed glamour and his youth, you know? Like, how passionate he is. And how unaffected he is by the jungle. Mm Mm-hmm. And his worship for 
uh, Kurtz is also very interesting. He helps Kurtz out in the same way that I guess if if um, the Harlequin represents the bulk of civilization or society, and if Kurtz represents kind of the evils and the big industrial motives, then it's kind of like the consumer um, feeding or helping the uh, corporation. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, like the, like it mirrors the, he, their relationship mirrors bigger societal um, cycles of uh, materialism. And In Apocalypse and Now, and... it's especially made clear once uh, the boat of uh, Willard arrives and he screams out to the boat, I'm an American. I'm a civilian American. So he makes it clear that he's not part of the army and he's been he's almost totally like the jungle invading people, he's almost invaded by Kurtz in a way, Kurt, by Kurtz's persona, mm-hmm. by what Kurtz represents. Yeah, it's very integral to know or understand why Kurtz dies at the end because his sacrifice means something more than... It's, it does not actually mean the abolition of sin or the abolition of greed. It, it's something more than that. I'm not really sure. So Kurtz's inevitable end, and it is, it, it, it marks the end of the journey into the heart of darkness. Marlowe returns back to uh, the Thames in England at the end where he is telling the story. So what's interesting is Kurtz dies of a sickness and he piles on uh, Kurtz piles on his memory onto uh, onto Marlowe. He gives him all his papers. He talks to him and him only, like frankly. Mm-hmm. And so he uh, Kurtz dies of a sickness after leaving the heart of darkness, which had kept him alive in a way, because yeah. he knew he couldn't return to normal civilization in his state of total and complete environmental control like the environment controlled him so much so as soon as he left that environment he he couldn't survive and he was already sick and straight after kurtz dies marlowe also gets sick which is Mm. i'm not entirely sure how to interpret that but that's very important it's almost like uh he was infected by kurtz in a way by kurtz's total evil by Mm -hmm. being the sole bearer of his true identity yeah it's it's almost as if people are environmental influences as well you know well they they are people are environmental influences as well and so his association with kurtz would ultimately influence him to do bad things doesn't he also take kurtz's wife uh he doesn't take kurtz's wife the book ends on um him lying to Kurtz's wife about right. the last his last the last words. I don't think he does. He takes Kurtz's wife. He doesn't replace Kurtz, but he carries Kurtz's memory, um, mm-hmm. and that affects him deeply. Right. I I think it's hard. why do I have it remember that he m- marries Kurtz's wife? That's that's probably uh, the Hollywood narrative doing things to my brain. Is that your fan fiction? Yeah, fan fiction. <laughs> oh my god. Oh no. Did you... <laughs> All right, and so uh, this is Kurtz's death. Anything approaching the change that came over his features, I have never seen before and hope never to see again. Oh, I wasn't touched. I was fascinated. It was as though a veil had been rent. I saw in that ivory face the expression of somber pride, of ruthless power, of craven terror, of an intense and hopeless despair. Did he live his life again in every detail of desire, temptation, and surrender? During that supreme moment of complete knowledge, he cried in a whisper. At some image, at some vision, he cried out twice. A cry that was no more than a breath 
The horror. The horror. I blew the candle out and left the cabin. The pilgrims were dining in the mess room, and I took my place opposite the manager, who lifted his eyes to give me a questioning glance, which I successfully ignored. He leaned back, serene, with that peculiar smile of his, sealing an unexpress, the unexpressed depths of his meanness. A continuous shower of small flies streamed upon the lamp, upon the cloth, upon our hands and faces. Suddenly, the manager's boy put his insolent black head in the doorway and said in a tone of scathing contempt, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. <laughs> Having uh, read so much about the uh, so many works that are interlinked, not that they were written or in the, in the same period or uh, are in the same medium, it's hard to think about one without thinking about all the others and how they interpreted certain aspects of that. And so they all are yeah. complementary to each other in that yeah, way. They can't be separated after you've read or watched, viewed them. Apocalypse Now is a three-hour film that has alone it would be seen as pretentious and kind of like almost nonsensical in a way without having if you read mm -hmm. heart of darkness suddenly you have you gain a deeper understanding of certain aspects and if you've uh, read heart of darkness first like i did uh you can draw so much from uh, so much more from apocalypse now and i started reading the Heart of Darkness because of the one line in the Hollow Men, uh, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. And that's the reason I started reading Heart of Darkness. And then I understand more about the Hollow Men and then the Hollow Men explain more about what Kurtz is going through. Yeah, it's really interesting how different artists bounce off each other to explore the same theme. It's, you know, invoking that conversation through about humanity through the forms that they are most comfortable with and then we can see that correspondence or that synaptic link as modern audiences right as a modern audience so for instance you can actually see the same themes of heart of darkness mirrored in t.s Eliot's work and then further reinforced and brought together and tied together in apocalypse now it's yeah so that that entire that's kind of you know that meta arc of you know uh creative development is kind of integral to understanding my advice in, in of itself like my advice to people wanting to get into these which i do recommend it's hard to enjoy our podcast without having read a bit about it do, do you agree with that or do you think that people should yeah we encourage people reading all these things or watching these movies at least one of them because first of all it's extremely entertaining it's extremely uh it's like almost a burp. it's it's good for your brain to sometimes have these questions thrown at you you know well i mean these conversations aren't really meant to be literary analyses we really like these texts and we just want to talk about them and this is a platform for us to do that in a more like structured setting if that makes yeah. sense and we just we love that because it's also this podcast is helping us to really elevate how much we read and how organized it is so yeah, this is mainly gain deeper understanding of arts and culture and, so it's you know this is like almost mainly for us and we also are using it as a way to encourage people to read the same things. And so mm -hmm. my ex advice for getting into this sort of territory, I, what would you call the overall, it's almost a j separate genre in itself. Like, what would you call these three pieces, like, put together? Oh, gosh. Um... I said it in the beginning, didn't I? The darkness and hypocrisy of Western imperialism. Yeah, I guess I, I don't actually. That. Yeah. 
it's kind of about modernity in general though you you get a lot of um i would say modernist writers and and they get very 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 dark uh conrad really marks the beginning of modernist writing because it's because yeah it's because of industrialization and because of what that does and what materialism does to you know your average joe right so um those themes are continually explored because that's still a problem right now in our society like art in general is like you know art is meant to either invoke feeling or to evoke conversation to communicate to exaggerate and these three pieces kind of exemplify that so i think both of our i don't know what how you think a reader should or like i don't know someone who wants to get into this stuff should approach these titles um but like start with one the hollow man is the quickest Mm -hmm. to read that'll give you that little bite of what's to come in your like i don't know it's like it's almost like an acid trip you know i i i would actually advise apocalypse now to go first uh you don't have to watch the director's cut uh it's much longer but i i do advise it but um, you don't need the director's cuts to get the main themes you don't you you really you don't it's just nice if you're pretentious and you want to know more oh look at me i'm watching a (laughs) three-hour film uh, oh my god (laughs) (laughs) kill me Uh, well no but the generally i i don't actually have a preference when it comes to reading a work or watching a film first i almost find that watching the movie first de-biases me in a way does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because if I read the book first, I have a lot of expectations set up for how the film ought to be. And as a filmmaker, or wannabe filmmaker... As a cinematographer. As a cinematographer. As an animator. <laughs> shoot me, please. <laughs> um, okay, as a film student. let's not have a breakdown now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> We're almost there. <laughs> as, as a film student... Um, I, I completely understand that adaptations, uh, as, as screen adaptations have to be drastically different, uh, from the writing itself or else it, it's not really, you know, pleasurable to watch and which was what made Apocalypse Now kind of grueling to endure, I guess, is because it was just the length of it but they really didn't leave a lot out they discussed every theme and every aspect yeah. of um what conrad said in uh in the vietnam setting like very thoroughly so but i wouldn't say that you need to watch the film first because you'll be biased because mm-hmm. you won't have a bias watching apocalypse now i yeah. didn't i read conrad and no, elliot no, no, first no. and that's the thing with apocalypse now which is so special is that it's it brings new things in as well exactly yeah because it it, it just gives that it just gives that like extra it it ties everything together because Mm -hmm. it it is the last i would i would almost say these three works are a trilogy of sorts because (laughs) that's funny to think about it like that yeah it's it's the icing on the cake you know it's it's the different reiterations and this is the this is kind of the most recent um kind of manifestation of the same idea you know in vietnam yeah no it was i think we all we both enjoyed doing all this stuff and i think it's a, it was a very good experience to tackle it all at the same time yeah and because it, it was very impossible it was very difficult, not impossible, but it was difficult to just isolate one uh, subject or one work without speaking about all the others because they just fit together so well. That's the, You rarely see this, and that's why I enjoy doing all this stuff. You rarely see a novel, a poem, and a movie tie into each other so well and become almost a package in your brain. 
Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so difficult to not talk about. They're, they're packaged in my brain. That's how I think about them. They're they come in, in yeah together. They're just that closely linked. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of um, the beauty of you know different media talking about the same thing. You get these there. There's intricacies of a visual format that are completely lost in writing there there's there's these tensions and these um very like the imagery you know that kind of mood and that kind of empathy that it invokes it's the immersive quality of a film is very very different and that brings something new to the table and similarly a uh, poem and how that makes your you know brain do you know syntactical I think aerobics and oh my god big words thinking yeah big words but just you know it, it makes your brain just think about stuff and when you have to make bridge those connections and having you know i almost see them as different forms of control you know so like how much how much interpretation is allowed for the audience so, for instance, a film, there's, you know, how, how much control is there over how the audience views it? There's, film arguably has the most control because you watch a movie. Audiovisual. Audiovisual is at the pace that it is set at. But you can read a book slowly, as slowly as you want, right? Right, yeah. But that's that's still tied to a linear kind of narrative. But then... You get into poetry, and you get it's it's more sparse and this is, in that way, but it allows for more freedom. But the which thing is, is so great. Elliot's writing style is perfect for this kind of argument because Elliot is very literal in a confusing way. He's going to confuse you, but once you find the key to what he's writing and the reference he's making, it becomes extremely clear. Yeah. And the different perspectives and the different voices and how they shift, it they manifest themselves very differently in every single medium. So how there's a flavor to in, each one. Yeah. So in, in poetry, it's stanza to stanza, and in um, in the novella itself, it was who the speaker was. You know, when when it was Marlowe speaking, um, in the in in the ship. Or if it was the, you know, Kurt speaking within Marlowe's story, you know, how, how those different voices shifted around. Or, or if it was in Apocalypse Now and it was the different shots and the different point of views and how, how certain characters would look straight into the camera. and Yeah. Just every single medium handles those situations differently and it just... Altogether, it brings together a richer uh, understanding of stuff and things. So, in conclusion, <laughs> we really like Heart of the Darkness, The Hollow yeah, Man, and Heart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, this, yeah. No, but like, I don't know. I think it was very enjoyable, and like, it was really cool looking at everything together and reflecting on it that's the important thing about this podcast we do so much research and then it just comes together in this podcast in one like form and that's what i love about mm -hmm. that's what i love about this podcast it's we do so much research and it's so sporadic over a period of time and then and then we bring it together in our own yeah, but there's the freedom to there's a freedom to talk about it however we want and through conversation just understand things because we're not we're, we don't have you know phds in literature or yeah, film no. history we're not going to you could easily write a thesis about each of these works but that's why we're, we're putting not it in going three parts because that's that's how much that's how far we want to go mm -hmm. in the next episode we'll be conversing about we'll dialoging that that was disgusting <laughs> we'll be dialoging <laughs> about 
<laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> this is awful. So in the next episode, we'll be talking about The Hollow Men by T.S. Eliot and how certain themes in that and certain just how that ties into Heart of Darkness. We'll be mainly talking about how it applies to Kurtz. And it'll be yes. more because Kurtz is such a weird character, like he's mysterious, and that's just Conrad's writing. So the Holloman really brings, uh, brings what Kurtz is as a person into view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then in the episode after that, we'll be talking about Apocalypse Now. Ooh, the big boy. The big boy. Yeah, and T. S. Eliot um, is actually quoted. Um. It, in apocalypse now so i think we'll actually hey why don't we we're going to probably play the clip at the beginning right uh yeah probably play the audio of that because it's very good yeah so if you've made it this far uh i'd like to well flora and i would like to thank you for uh listening to us ramble and Mm -hmm. we hope you'll join us in great appreciation three uh the next three parts because uh we hope it'll it'll help i don't know we're not necessarily hoping that it'll enrich your understanding of these texts or of these pieces it's i feel like this podcast is really meant to more to i feel like this podcast is really meant to create a community of sorts because we really enjoy having these conversations and being able to create a larger base of, um, you know, young young artists or young creators. Yeah, exactly. To, uh, to speak about these things, that that would be really powerful and that would be really cool because, like, I I want to be um, a filmmaker, and uh, Max is also intending to go into media uh, of some sort. Me- yeah, media, media animation, arts. Uh, film. Yeah, animation. I'm very passionate about those two things as well, but. Yeah, so we're. These are things that I mean. And we're mainly visual students. people, so this is a brand new, this is a brand new experience for us, and we really like experimenting with new things. And since we're doing this purely audio, it, it's really like it's a learning experience. Audibly, o- sonically, audible. the waves. <laughs> but I think we've yes. done pretty good so far. For... Yeah, ideally we'd be drawing all of these out with MS Paint for you. Yeah, we'd have full but, animation. But we really want to see if we can take this a step further than that. Yeah. So in closing, I'd like to thank you for listening. Join us. Uh, I mean, we're hoping to do this weekly, but I mean, we'll see. So. Uh, Next time on On the Spectrum, T.S. Eliot, The Hollow Men, and a bit of everything. <laughs>